Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-host Matt Cummings. We're live on 89.3 FM, WNUR, Evanston, Chicago. Now, you want your voice heard, right? 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. What's your opinion on what we're talking about tonight? It's super important. You call in, I'm going to let you know why in a second. 847-866-9687. Hey, we're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop up. All right, tonight it is our chance. Cummings and I get you ready for Thanksgiving by sharing the music, the operas, the composers, the singers, the directors, the traditions that we are thankful for. And we're also going to share some of our listeners' thoughts, too. You can tweet us right now with your own contributions at Opera Box Score. We're on Facebook. Search for Opera Box Score. Email us, operaboxscore at gmail.com. Make that phone call, 847-866-WNUR. Also, at the bottom of the hour, two-minute drill, all your opera headlines, our takes on them. Matt Cummings, great to see you again tonight, sir. It's good to see you too, George. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing all right. You just got a haircut. I did. It's a lot shorter than I asked for, but you know when it when doesn't that happen? Are, are you in the like the itchy phase now? Oh, I really need a shower. You know, <laughs> <laughs> for a couple reasons, but mostly that one. Right, but mostly because of the haircut. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, uh, I was at the Lions Bears game yesterday. Oh yeah, it got pretty cold yesterday. How was how's everyone doing there? Uh, well. I'll just say that it's not cold when you're sitting in the executive boxes. Oh, well, well, well. (laughs) Look who came to play. My cousin, he works for a a large company in Chicago, and uh, they have a suite. And uh, my cousin, he he owes me. Yeah. I'll I'll be honest. I've taken him to a couple uh, rock concerts kind of at the last minute. I thought you were going to say operas, but... (laughs) No. No, no, no. Um... So he owed me, and he was like, "Yeah, uh, do you want to you want to go watch the Lions Bears from the executive suites?" And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Uh, so got my drink on, got yeah. my eat on. Oh, I bet. And uh, it was a great game, actually. Right? Uh, Lions played catch up the whole game, went ahead with two minutes left on a go ahead field goal, only to have the Bears get the ball back with the waning seconds, drive down the field, and then miss a forty-two yarder. That is like a parody of a nail biter, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. Uh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I'm going back to Western Pennsylvania. I'm from Pittsburgh, so we're 
flying in there and then going up to see grandparents and aunts and uncles uh, about 100 miles north. So I'll be in Steelers country. Nice. Very nice. Uh, well, Lions, of course, play on Thanksgiving Day. The Steelers, they just play like a Sunday. Uh, I think we did last year. Yeah. And I think we do not this year. But right. uh, people who actually know about sports would have the correct answer to that. What is, what's on the table in the, the, the extended Cummings family? Really, as long as they're stuffing, I'm fine. Uh, I'm on pie duty this year. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Okay. Secret recipe, or what's what's it going to be? We're doing, it, it's a classic apple, you know? Yeah. You got those Pennsylvania apples. It's going to ah. be pretty great from the farmer's market. Nice. Can't complain. man. Nice. That's very good. I mean, Thanksgiving is all about the sides. My mm-hmm. brother-in-law is a vegan, and everyone's like, oh, dude, what a disappointment. You're vegan Thanksgiving. He's like, what are you talking about? Uh, all about the sides. It's all about the sides, but how do you make any of those sides without butter, George? That's my question. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. That's a good point. Let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's the show, all right. Cedar Quist and Cummings pigging out on Thanksgiving desires. Yeah. Dreams. Just... Wishes. We've got an embarrassment of riches in our clips, I think. We do. We do. we got a lot of music for you tonight, actually. Uh, we're going through what we're thankful for. Operas, composers, singers, directors. Give us a call. What you're thankful for. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. Looking forward to taking your calls. I'm going to kick it off, Matt. Please. He, this is an opera that I saw live. Uh, the world premiere in 2002 at the National Theater in London. And it changed my life. I'm so thankful that I got to see this show in person. Jerry Springer, the opera. (laughs) Which does exist. It does exist. It's funny. I mean, so it's, you know, 15 years now. And uh, in a way, the humor, uh, comedy is constantly evolving. And the, the comic setup, we've kind of moved, I think, past Jerry Springer, that type of comedy, turning a, sh- a TV show into an opera. Although this thing ran for like oh, 10 years in the West End, probably. Yeah. It never did as well in the U.S. Which is f- interesting. Yeah, it's funny. That it's, su- it's such a big part of American culture that the, right. the British people... Were, were more attached to, I guess. I, in terms I of, guess too close to home, maybe, or you yeah. needed a little distance, possibly, from it. Uh, Stuart Lee, one of the creators. Uh, you know what? Let me just, let me just jump right into yeah, the let's clip. Listen. I mean, but it is, it is literally what it sounds like. It is a Jerry Springer show. At least Act One is a Jerry Springer show set to music.
Thank you, baby Jane. (laughs) (laughs) So listening to that, I'm a little less surprised that that was not a big hit in America. It's it's got that. It is the driest sense of humor that it's something so mundane that they are presenting as though it's very very serious and almost sacred that sounded like it could have been an excerpt from like a christmas cantata with new words it could. put and on top of exactly. it exactly and and the words are a big deal right because like that is one of two <laughs> clips in the entire two and a half hour show that doesn't have an f-bomb yeah in it i mean they said lesbians uh richard thomas was the other creator of that i said it ran 10 years boy was i wrong it was really three years but god it felt like 10 years like everybody was seeing this show man yeah i remember everyone that was around when i was it, that was, it was kind of a new thing when yeah. I was getting into opera. And yes. pe- so people were still talking about it. Yes, exactly. And when I saw it, the man who played Jerry Springer, uh, Michael Brandon, was the spitting image. Did he just... I mean, how do you do an impression of someone while you're singing yeah. like him? You can't, well, but... Now, this is interesting, right, is that that character never sings. Oh. The character of Jerry Springer simply talks. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I mean, you heard it at the end of that clip there. Um, but he's just uh, one of those shows that changed my life. And it just showed you like how you could be totally nutty with opera and how you could make it be absolutely successful. So thankful for that show. How about you? What's an, an opera that you're really thankful for? An opera that I'm really thankful for. I think that some people might disagree with me about this, but I absolutely love most of Aida, <laughs> which is like all the parts that people think of when you think of Aida, like the big elephants marching in and, you know, people wearing funny wigs like that part is not so great. But a lot of this, a lot of the music, especially for uh, Amneris, is just absolutely unbelievable. And when you got someone who can really drive it home like that, for me, is what opera is about. It's uh, it is just raw emotion and it is really it can be really impressive vocalism at the same time and i get chills practically every time i listen to this clip tell us about the clip it is uh, a clip of possibly my favorite singer of all time shirley verrett singing the end of the judgment scene where she just found she finds out that her uh her fiance radames is being sentenced to death for treason so
boom, Aida. And even just listening to that, I feel like you can hear like all of the dramatic gestures and cape switching that she's doing in that video. <laughs> There's a lot of it. In that clip you sent me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, and that's Shirley... Shirley Verrett. Shirley Verrett, yeah. right? She is chewing the scenery. It's like, you want some cheese with that ham, baby? Because she is really going at it. I mean, uh, it, up close, <laughs> it is a lot. I feel like from the back row, though, it would... Yeah. You, I'd buy it. Yeah, that's fair. That's a that's a fair point. Um, th- as you said, Aida, that opera is so much more than the triumphal march. Yeah, the the opening act with all those men like in the um, in the in this uh, I was going to triumph are the rights. Yes, I was going to call it the tomb. It, it's really more the rights, and they're singing immenso pfta. Yeah, like I, I had this vision that if I ever did Aida, that there would be like the sacrifice of a nude virgin in that scene. <laughs> I just think that would be rad. Um, what a great choice for you. Opera box score, WNUR 89.3 FM, Cedar Christian Cummings, getting you guys ready for Thanksgiving, what we're thankful for in opera. Here's a composer that I'm really thankful for in opera. Opera's, uh, or sh- I should say Thanksgiving, is about family and I had a number of influences on myself when I was a child, getting myself into opera. One of those influences was going to see Gilbert and Sullivan with my parents. My mother's English, my dad's American, but surprisingly, I think my dad almost likes Gilbert and Sullivan more than my (laughs) mother. Maybe it's for like the inverse reason that the English likes, the English liked Jerry Springer so much more. I, I mean, my father... Could he has seen the 13, 13 GNS operas? I think there's 13. It's, some, it's around there. Uh, he'll correct me over the dinner table. He's seen them all probably two to three times each. And I definitely remember going to the Gilbert and Sullivan Society in my hometown uh, and seeing them and being very impressed by it and trying to follow the plots and loving the music and just loving the, the two dimensionality of it. Seeing that film Topsy Turvy. Yeah, clips of it, life. yeah. Uh, that helped as well. But um, here's a quick clip I want to play. This is not the most obscure GNS, but it's definitely a shout out to the, the GNS lovers. <laughs> I am the very model of a modern major general. I've information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England and the coat of fights historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I am very well acquainted too with matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. About binomial theorem, I am teeming with a lot of news. Ah, with many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. I am very good at integral and differential calculus. I know the scientific names of beings and in malculus. In short, in matters vegetable, animal, and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. I know our mythic history, King Arthur's and the Caradox. The answer hard acrostics have a pretty taste for paradox. In court in elegiacs, all the crimes of helicabalus. In cornex, I can floor, is parabolus. 
I can tell him that the Raphael some Jaredas and Sophonies. I know they're coming. All right, we don't and need And there are this. about 8,000 more words after that. <laughs> and he says all of them. It's, it's, you know, obviously, one of the things you can do with that patter song is you can invent new verses. I kind of like that. I don't know if the purists like that or not, but I feel like GNS would love the idea that that people would invent new verses. That definitely feels in the spirit to me because their work was so current at the Mm -hmm. time. Exactly. I mean, it's cloaked in 17 layers of irony and disguise so that it wasn't too off-putting at the time, but everyone in that audience knew exactly what they were talking about. That's exactly right. And uh, irony was a a big part of it, of course. Uh, The patter song... I've got a little list mm-hmm. from the Mikado. That's another gem just waiting to be reinvented and uh, updated, essentially. By the way, 14 operas composed by Gilbert and Sullivan. Although, don't trust Wikipedia because they don't even list Cox and Box on here, which is one of my personal favorites. Mm. How about you? What's a composer that you're thankful for? It's funny now? that we picked different composers for almost the same reason. Okay. Because I picked the first composer whose music I fell in love with, which is Mozart. Uh, and it was, first it was Zauberflöte and Magic Flute, and then it was Marriage of Figaro. Mm-hmm. But the one that has been jostling around for a while now is Cosi Fan Tutte, which I know is Oliver Camacho's favorite opera. And uh, there's something about the way that Mozart is able to make something that is so mathematically perfect human at the same time. Uh, that really comes out to me in Cozy because everything is so balanced. You've got three of one, three of the other. They're acting opposite from each other, so there's all kinds of weird like mirror images that happen in terms of the plot, in terms of their relationships with each other. Uh, and I really feel that in the music, too, in the way that he layers all the voices on top of each other so that your attention is constantly being pulled from line to line. Uh, that's one of my favorite things in any musical or opera is when a composer is able to make me have that kind of ADD of like, what am I paying attention? What am I supposed to be listening to now? And so this is the uh, very end of the act one finale of Così Fan Tutte. Oh. 
Wow. Just stupendous, complex writing. Performing that, even it's, thinking about performing that makes my head hurt. It is such a tricky scene because it it's at the end of like a 20-minute sequence of just going back and forth between being silly and being serious and uh, running all over the place and get, the women are getting all mad because the men are trying to kiss them and the men are laughing because they think they won the bet and it it can really easily go off the rails. Jeez. But when Great. it's right. When it's right, it's genius. <laughs> it's right, it's genius. Hey, it's like it's like a good pumpkin pie, man. If it's right, it's it's genius. Hey, it's the uh, Thanksgiving show on Opera Box Score. We're going to step aside for one second. After the break, it's the two-minute drill, all your opera headlines, everything you need to know from the past week, and, uh, of course, stick around for our hot takes on those. Opera Box Score, WNUR, 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines on opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. Last Saturday, one of the Catholic Church's gender taboos was broken. Cecilia Bartoli, one of Italy's most celebrated classical singers, became the first woman to perform inside the Sistine Chapel with the all-male Sistine Chapel Choir. Remen Gray, a leading British theater and opera director, is at the center of an independent investigation, quote, after actresses lodged complaints that he had behaved in a sexually inappropriate manner. Gray uh, has been accused of inappropriate behavior by a number of women relating to, quote, historic incidents. That's as part of the actress touring company. In an open letter, a patron at Opera San Luis Obispo in California has accused the company of disrespecting the American flag in a recent performance of Puccini's Madama Butterfly. Artistic director Brian Aldereff has disagreed. English National Opera's recent world premiere, Marnie, is by an American composer, Nico Mooley. But many positions in the show's cast and creative team are also American. Norman Lebrecht of the classical music blog Slip Disc has argued that this has no place at a company like ENO. Composer Teddy Abrams seems unfazed by the challenge of setting the life and times of Louisville's most famous son to music. His ambitious new work, quote, the greatest Muhammad Ali is going to mix music, poetry, narration, and dance into what he calls a 90-minute opera rap oratorio mashup. And on this day, it's the premiere of Fidelio by Beethoven in Vienna at the Theater an der Wien. That was in 1805. That's your two-minute drill. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and oh yeah, Matt Cummings. 
Oliver Camacho not in the house tonight. He's probably working on his gravy or something, Cummings. <laughs> it takes practice to get it right, George. You can't rush perfection. Well, he's he's big on the food. That's true. You know, he is he is a real I bet you his Thanksgiving dinner is kind of like a I bet it's marvel. all out. Just all pulled out all the stuff. Oh my god. George Cedarquist here with Matt Cummings doing the Thanksgiving show on Opera Box Score. Number in the studio, 847. 847- 866-9687. Give us a call. Let us know what you are thankful for in opera. Right now, two-minute drill. Well, let's start at the top. Okay. Matt, Cecilia Bartoli has broken the gender barrier. I can't believe that it's 2017 and this is just happening now. But I also can. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's... I'm, I do. I'm so happy that it happened, but... It's ridiculous that they never had a woman sing in the Sistine Chapel. I think one of the, one of the cardinals even has a quote in that about how it's a he claims it's a recent thing that women are even studying music, and I think that that's it's a question of access, and yeah. it's it's hopefully this will be the start of more women having a seat at this table because. If you had my colleague Amy Stebbins on the show, she's been on this show a couple of times before fantastic director, outspoken feminist, her head would ex- be exploding yeah. right about now. Uh, how long did it take? 500 years to get a <laughs> yeah. woman in there? It makes sense that it would be Cecilia Bartoli. Yes? She's a national treasure. How- exactly. I mean, exactly. everyone's so proud of her. Uh, but I did notice in, this, in the article, too, that they only have the first, the first full-time British member is of the ensemble ever is currently in it. So... <laughs> They got a lot of... God, they're going crazy. <laughs> what are there, they doing? Are there no standards anymore? Oh, my God. Next Just, thing they're going to have, like, I don't know, liberal Democrats yeah. in the choir. I've never actually heard the choir sing. I'm sure they're phenomenal. Me neither, probably. but I, I bet it's a tough gig to, gig to get. The allegations of inappropriate sexual behavior started, of course, with Harvey Weinstein they are now moving into politics. They are moving across the globe. Hey, as my wife said, who knew that we would ultimately thank Donald Trump for ending the patriarchy in the world? <laughs> it, and now, I mean, we talked about this on the show before. Eventually, it was going to come into opera. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about an article that we read where a former opera singer wrote about what it was like to be in this opera world where the, quote, casting couch exists, where there are unscrupulous members of this community who take advantage of their positions of power with horrific results. And here we go, Raymond Gray. This article, it's in the Telegraph. We'll put a link on our website, operaboxscore.com. You thought, Matt, it's pretty open-ended. It's, well, it's a little short on details in terms of... and. Really, they're just kind of saying that there's an investigation, and the rest of it, to me, was reading like they still had, they're keeping it under wraps for a reason. Uh, I think I did read that it's the actors' union that's doing the investigation, mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that, that fa- the fact that not all those details have been released yet means that they are taking it seriously and not just paying lip service to the fact that they're looking into this and that they are waiting for, yeah, wait, waiting to have a case to present it because... There's, it, you know, as we've seen, there's often something there. Kevin Spacey. I mean, for me, that was like, man, that was kind of the beginning of the end. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and actually there's the British connection there because, of course, he ran this theater, the old Vic in London for a number of years. He's, I mean, his career is completely shot now. And then I was like, Al Franken, really? Come on, dude. Yeah. It's, I, I, we shouldn't be surprised at this point that it's so prevalent. I know. But. Exactly. Exactly. I was surprised by this letter to the editor out in San Luis Obispo, which uh, I've not been to. I'm going to be honest about that. Two patrons wrote a letter to say that they recently attended the opera San Luis Obispo's performance of Madama Butterfly and, quote, we were enjoying it until the final scene. That's when we were stunned, appalled, really, to see the grief-stricken character Chocho-san grab the American flag off its pole, brackets, stage right, <laughs> throw it onto the floor, then drag it as she sang, end so, quote. The company has a different opinion of what they say happened. They say they describe her as taking the flag and wrapping it around herself while she commits suicide. And... I am not surprised that this became controversial because yeah. so many, anything that involves, you know, it's a hot button issue at this time, even if it's totally tangential. Uh, people are paying so much more attention to it and looking for reasons to be insulted. I personally think that it sounds like a really stunning directorial choice and like a statement it's brilliant. about. Yeah. It's totally brilliant. Now, here's what here's why both sides of this argument are dropping the ball. First of all, these audience members writing in, they're saying it show quote it shows Opera San Luis willingness to exploit and demean the tragedy of Chocho San to make a gratuitous and contemporary political statement. Hello, okay. All theater is political. George, that's what I wrote in my notes to say oh about my this. God. Why does no one get this? This is crazy. It's like yes. Yes, we are making a contemporary political statement. That is the purpose of art, people. Yeah. And unfortunately... They backed off. They backed off. They said that it is ju- it's just an image. It's not political. I wish that they had stuck by their guns because it is... It's a really... Yeah. Yeah. It's a searing indictment of all the horrible things that happened and are continuing to happen as a result of these... In, in as a result of the in this case America and Japan exactly and right it is a terrible tragedy and we sh- being forced to think about it is fine is good is productive and especially in a piece like Madama Butterfly that has such really outdated uh, racial politics of it the fact that you're able to make it current without cheapening it is like should be is something that i as an opera singer someone in this art form applaud that it's really holding a mirror up to the audience and i hope that other people there thought about that and realized that too cummings i'm shrugging my shoulders so much over here that i'm gonna have like a neck injury uh brian Aldehef responds, and this is a public letter, this is letters to the editor, he responds, quote, we were very careful to ensure that the opera was not a political statement or a reflection of any current affairs whatsoever, end quote. Sir, you have given away your power to have art make a statement and to impact people. You have missed a chance, and my wish for you is that you re-examine what the purpose of art is and the potential that you have and the, the ability that you have to affect change in this country in a articulate 
an indirect sort of way through music. If you want to worry about something, worry about putting white people into kimonos and uh, painting their faces. Yeah. That's what you should be worrying about when you do this piece. Not about American flags on the floor. By the way, they were, they were doing that stuff in Germany for like 20 years ago. Yeah. Nobody cared. Nobody <laughs> cared at all. All right. I'm, I'm getting too angry over here. We're going to move on. English National Opera has just opened the premiere of Marnie. It's by American composer Nico Muli. And over at Slip Disc, which Oliver hates, I love. You're, where are you on that spectrum? Uh, I'm somewhere towards the middle, but probably closer to Oliver, okay, to be honest. Okay, that's, that's fine. That and, it's cool. because, and it's because of stories like this that I come down more on Oliver's side. Yeah. I don't see what is newsworthy about this. I don't see what's common. Yeah. about it yeah. the fact that he he's insinuating to me that uh because this is a piece of artwork that is so it's an american film it's mm-hmm. an american composer it's mostly american actors and production team that that means that it shouldn't have a place at english national opera which is an argument that is disingenuous at best because yes. what is so powerful about opera is the way that it ha- is makes it possible for cultural exchange and the chances to teach other people or show other people about a cross-cultural. And I, it's always better to be more inclusive about that, about that exchange than less inclusive. And second of all, English National Opera's uh, credo is that they do things in the native language of the audience, exactly. which this is still English. Yeah. They will still understand it. Yeah. So for him to be saying that there's nothing that is worthy of being heard by English national opera audiences because this isn't a piece that's British in origin yeah. just doesn't make sense to it, me. It doesn't make sense. I mean, statistically, yes, both the leading lady is American, that's Sasha Cook, uh, the director is American, the scenic and production designers, Julian Crouch, he's based in Brooklyn. He's not actually American. Costume designer, lighting designer. But this is a production that's, that was commissioned by the Metropolitan Opera. Yes, it's not actually being premiered at the Met. It is being done first at ENO. There's absolutely no reason that this should be considered an insult to ENO. Frankly, ENO should be proud that they are doing that. This is a highlight. Look, they are in tough times. Which time. they very well might be, just because Norman Lebrecht says they shouldn't be. Uh, that's a that's <laughs> a very fair point. Yeah, they, they probably don't give two you-know-whats, frankly, if people are going to go see it, which is great. I, I could not agree more. Um, hey, we're going to step aside on Opera Box Score again. When we get back, more Thanksgiving wishes more things that we are thankful for be sure to let us know what you're thankful for 847-866-WNUR is the number here in the studio it is upper box score on WNUR 89.3 FM live from Chicago You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. 
When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. Opera Class. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. WNUR 89.3 SM is the station that you're listening to. Cedarquist and Cummings here with the Thanksgiving show, our annual way of giving thanks for all those things in opera. Composers, singers, directors, repertoire. That's some good stuff, man. Yeah, we've gotten... We got some good clips. We've gotten a little worked up about news stories. All good things. <laughs> I need. I just needed a cold glass of water. Yeah. After that, and like, look, you know, I I don't know these people. I haven't seen the show. I don't know the company, but I'm not saying anything about that article that I wouldn't say to anyone's face. No, I I agree. It's... You don't. You know, you don't have to solve the problem yourself, but you also don't get to relinquish your authority. Yeah. You know, that's that's the thing. All right. You're a singer. I am. And I think that you would be hard-pressed to find a singer more universally beloved than my than the singer I'm thankful for, <laughs> who is, first and foremost, just a glorious voice. Mm. And second, uh, a tremendous role model for generations of people. And that is the one and only Leontine Price. Uh, this is a clip of her... Sing uh, from Tosca that she did live at the Met with uh, Cornell McNeil and Franco Corelli. So what a dream cast there. Uh, and she is just going for it and it is beautiful. That's really all I can say. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a little trite, but I'm thankful that there is music out there like that for, uh, that that was recorded for people to listen to still, because that, I, that sounds like to me something that could win over uh, someone who was, thinks they're pretty against opera. And that, that was Tosca. <laughs> that was from Tosca, yeah. That reminds me how fantastic the music is. Yeah. In that show. I think that's a great, it, 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 like, it's a great opera to show someone who mm. is not that familiar with it because it's pretty short. Every 40 minutes, something changes, and you get a totally different situation. It moves pretty quick. Right. The music's exciting. It's right. really, that gets your blood pumping. There's some good chorus work yeah. as well. Uh, with a children's choir. Yeah. Yes, right? Yes, there... all the altar boys. The altar boys. That's it. Yes. that That is like... If I had done, you know, even more opera as a child, I, I would have been good, I think, as one of those altar boys. Great choice. Very thankful for Leontem Price. And such an important singer, just, you know, as a woman, as an African-American, I mean, she really kind of wrecked the curve. Yeah. And thank God that she was there, that, that she was there to break down barriers and that we get, still get to listen exactly. to Exactly. And I I love all the photos of her. She's always, like, dressed to the nines. Yeah. You know, in a very fashionable way. I'm not saying that, like, Jesse Norman. She kind of still is. Oh, totally is. (laughs) She totally still is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, there's lots of directors that I love. Lots of productions that I love. A director that I'm so grateful for is a woman called Kirsten Harms. She's actually been on the show early in the OBS archives, I got to go to Berlin and interview Kirsten Harms. I first met her when I was living in Germany uh, on a research fellowship. This was back in 2011. She had been running the Deutsche Oper Berlin for a number of years and had been asked to step down over controversy of a production I believe it was Abduction from the Seraglio, actually, where there was the director. She wasn't directing it. She was just running the house. But the director had a sequence where uh, a character entered holding the heads of, I believe, Mohammed and Jesus and other religious prophets, the heads of these men in bags, And there was a a political outcry and a lot of back and forth, and she ultimately decided to cancel the production. And she came under a lot of fire for it. Go to the OBS archives on our website, operaboxscore.com. You can listen to the interview that I did with her. So then that happened. Then I met her when she was rehearsing this production of Lohengrin in Wiesbaden, which is a lovely city, by the way, in central Germany. Uh, Her husband was designing the production. Go away. And... um, she did something... Well, okay, so there's a couple things that are just brilliant about her. First of all, I've never seen a director run the room as tightly as she ran it. Literally, nobody spoke unless she asked you a question. Which, for those of you who have not been in a rehearsal room, never happens. It was incredible. And it wasn't out of a place of fear. I mean, I was terrified of her, but that's because like, I didn't speak the language. I mean, I spoke it a little bit, but I didn't know it that much. Like, the chorus... They did not screw around on her watch. I will never forget 
being in a being in the rehearsal room with her, I was just observing. Uh, you know, I, I had no responsibilities or duties. I was just sitting in the back. Well, I became friends with the assistant director, and you know, we were rehearsing a scene with just two of the characters. We were missing some other people, so the assistant director is standing in for somebody. The assistant director turns to me, and she's like, hey, can you just stand in for this other person? Here's the book. All I had to do was, like, cross downstage and open an umbrella. <laughs> and I totally blew it, did it at the wrong time and all that, and we stopped. And Kirsten Harms comes over to me, and in German, and she looks right into my eyes, and she's like, I told you what to do. Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you get it right? And I was like... I'm really sorry. I, I don't know what to tell you, but it just, she was so direct. It wasn't mean, but it just, she made you do your job and take pride in it in such a wonderful way. And I really, I stayed in touch with her and I'm just so grateful to all the work that she's done at the Deutsche Oper Berlin when she was running it. Her productions are still there, by the way. This season, she has a uh, Tannhäuser at the DOB and Elektra as well. When I was Ooh, there last that, year, I'd see that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't get to see it, unfortunately. Um, it had a upside down grand piano as part of the Interesting. set. Interesting. I'm not sure why, but that's because I never got to see the see the show. So, so thankful. So, for do you this woman. do you feel like you run rehearsals differently after having that experience? Uh, I wish I could be like her. I wish I could command <laughs> the respect that she commanded. She is quite tall. I think height has something to do with it, you know? I'm trying to think of, like, short directors. You know, I'm, like, 5'5", five five, so... But she's, like, tall, very attractive, striking, long, blonde hair. And she's certainly older. Like, she's in her 60s, mm -hmm. you know? But, like, always immaculately dressed. I wonder what her secret is. If I get a chance to ask her, I'd probably, like, ask her again. Maybe you just need was. to give all your directions in German so that... Everyone's terrified. Well, I'll certainly say that, like, if people yell at you in German, it, it tends to scare the crap out of you. Yeah. So I think that's a good note. Hey, Cummings, what's a opera tradition that you are thankful for? So I did a little did a little thinking about this one because yeah. it was it was a tricky thing to come up with a specific example. There's lots of traditions. But so what I came up with for one that I'm specifically thankful for is that we have, that, that there have been people in this art form who take on passion projects. And what I mean by that is the, the standard repertoire is what it is, and a lot of those works are great, and a lot of them are not my favorite, but that's fine. Uh, there have been a number of people over the last 50, 60 years especially who take causes under their wing and want to make sure that other people find out about these things. Uh, Cecilia Bartoli, who we talked about, is a big proponent of this. Her, every single one of her albums is a passion project of something that no one has ever heard of that she's going to do better than anyone else. Uh, and one of them that means a lot to me as a singer, because it is music that I connect to very viscerally, is the people who brought back the Belcanto operas, the Rossini, Bellini, Donizetti operas, and made them viable for, ma for major opera houses to produce. And that happened a lot, for, you know, from the 50s onwards. And so you get a performance like the one that I'm about to have George play a clip from at the Met in the 70s with uh, Beverly Sills and Shirley Verrett, again, singing um, The Siege of Corinth, which was kind of cobbled together to be 
a greatest hits of Rossini and present music that people wouldn't have heard before. And a lot of that has taken off and people still more and more houses are willing to do these works more and more and more people see them. Uh, it's expanded way beyond just those composers so that you, so that we're always trying to figure out new music that new old music and new, new music too. Uh, so this is a clip of That clip has a full two minutes of applause tacked onto it, the YouTube version. Uh, it's fantastic. So what I what I want to say about that is uh, Rossini areas can kind of be a paint-by-numbers kind of thing. Like, yeah. if you've heard parts of one of them, you can almost be sure that you're going to hear those same parts again somewhere else. She was singing that with the same kind of, like, passion and dramatic fire that was in the Aida judgment scene from earlier in this hour. And... It's because of performances like that that prove that music that might not have merited a second look otherwise is worthwhile. The Passion Project. It's a great call, and it's a good thing to be thankful for. This is hard for me to figure out a, an opera tradition that I was really thankful for. And um, in our pre-show meeting, I had one written down, but I'm going to change it on the fly. I had written down, like, in Germany, the curtain calls go on forever and ever and ever. And I used to hate that, and now I'm sort of thankful for it just because i think it's funny i guess <laughs> plus when like when you listen to applause like people in those houses when no one's actually bowing when they're waiting for the next person to come out like the applause drops way down and then it just like swells up again but i'm going to change my mind but it has to do with applause i love the moment in the opera house when you've done your pre-show speech or whatever turn off your phones the lights go down and the conductor comes from backstage into the pit. And not everybody can see him or her. Not everyone can see the conductor at that point. But someone's got to start clapping. Someone sees that conductor. And I just I love that moment. I'm so grateful for that moment when, like, here we go. No holds barred. It is 
game on. We are going to clap for that conductor as he or she comes up to the podium. That conductor's light comes on. They take a bow. Maybe they have the orchestra stand. Maybe they don't. And it's like we are now diving into this thing. It's just that suspense is so palpable. Yeah. And it's really exciting when that happens at the end of the piece, too. I love when a performance is so good that everyone in the audience decides to just take a minute of silence and let it sink in before they stop, before they start applauding. Exactly. That is exactly. That's a really special thing to experience. It is. And and those moments are also designed and fabricated and, and the staging has a lot to do with it. And like the, the lighting, the lighting the... has a lot to do with it. If there's a curtain, the speed at which that curtain drops, the speed at which we go to black, if we go to black, has a lot to do with it, but that is a very special. That is a very special moment. Hey, it's Opera Box Score on WNUR eighty nine point three FM. We are going to wrap this show up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Man, it's been there's been a lot to be thankful for, Matt. Yeah, I would say so. I'm trying to think of so. I'm trying to think of other things I want to squeeze in at the last second that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for being a co-host on Opera Box Score. What else is there? Uh, that's very kind of you. We are thankful to you, our listeners. We are thankful to you, our donors. Big shout out to Jack in Ann Arbor giving us some money. You can donate. Just go to our website, operaboxscore.com. We are so thankful to the people that give money to make us do this show. In the new year, we're trying to get things going on Patreon. You know Patreon? Matt, I don't. Ever heard of I it? I don't know what okay, that is. Yeah. It's, like, it's like the next thing after a, a Kickstarter or, or crowdsourced fundraising. So keep an eye out for that. I need to, I need to get the Patreon thing happening. Up and so, running. Up and running, exactly. So grateful to our listeners. So grateful to you who conduct and sing. You who design. You who go see opera. You who donate to opera houses. You who donate materials and your old clothes to big opera houses and to storefront opera houses, you that keep this art form going, you who keep this art form alive. So grateful for that. Uh, Matt, you got a good call or a bad call this week? My good call is going to be to wish for safe travels for everyone out there listening who's going home to see their families and for who have families coming to see them. Mm. Have a happy holiday. Very nice. My good call super fast. Up here at Northwestern where we do our show Right behind the radio station, actually, is that they built an outdoor ice rink. What? And they so, moved it? Yes. And so I bring my skates up, and I do a little, like, 30-minute workout skating before uh, every single radio show, which I love. Except for tonight when I totally wiped out in front of this cute girl. That, yeah. w- that was well, a shame. Put some ice on it. That was... <laughs> Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk, a radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. And on Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And of course, leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. 
The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For co-host Matt Cummings, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera with your friends and family around the table. Just finish that mouthful first, please. We're back next Monday at 9 p.m. Central when a very tan Tobias Wright returns to the show from Florida. Find out if he's also lost the ability to speak coherently. Argo Radio is up next. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment.